You're listening to We're Only Human, hosted by Ben Eubanks on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. We're Only Human focuses and highlights how modern technology and new ways of working are creating a more people-centric workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.h3hr.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. And I have with me today as a very special guest, um, one of your other favorite uh, speakers from the HR Happy Hour Network, Madeline Lorano from Research on the Rocks. Welcome, Madeline. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, this has been great. We spent some time together this week in Orlando, beautiful down here. And we've had uh, a lot of fun, um, both had a chance to present on a couple sessions and, and talk to a lot of practitioners here. And one of the conversations that you and I actually talked about this week was around sourcing. And I thought it'd be good to, to dive into the topic a little bit, talk about some of the research behind it, what we're seeing, and also talk about some of the other pieces that tie into it on the technology side. You know me, I'm always looking for like the human element, what, what's the aspect, um, the angle there. So just to start off, you know, some of the research that we've done, we'll, we'll jump into yours in just a second. This year we did a study on uh, the town exercise and priorities for, for leaders in the coming year. And the thing that came in first place tied with onboarding was sourcing. And that jives with a lot of the research that I've seen and probably you've seen over the last couple of years around people saying that they're having a hard time finding those critical roles, right? So what kind of data do you guys have to kind of back up that? What are you, what are you seeing around sourcing as a priority for businesses? Yeah, it's interesting. And it, that aligns with the research that we've done on sourcing too, that it's a priority um, it's funny because we ask companies the same thing, especially around their um, investment priorities. And sourcing for the past few years has been number one, um, along with you know background screening and pre-hire assessments. And to me, it's like a sign, just to your point, that companies are really struggling with this. We see one in three companies really looking to significantly increase their investment in this year. And I think it's for a few different reasons. I think... One is we're talking about sourcing different, differently than we've talked about it in the past. In the past, it was really about either using sourcers or maybe third-party recruiters or job boards to basically find talent and fill an immediate need. And now there's a more strategic approach. Some companies are reor- reorganizing their talent acquisition function, like Coca-Cola, to have an internal sourcing function while others are looking at broader solutions like a recruitment marketing platform to handle everything pre-applicants. So I think the challenge of sourcing has been there. I think the way that we're talking about it is different in the past few years. Yeah, it's beyond just the old debate of post and pray versus doing something more active. Exactly. Um, talk about the recruitment marketing piece of that, because I know that's that's one of your passions. You've done mm-hmm. a lot of research on the topic. and Obviously, on the technology side, you know, with the practices on the corporate side, what are you seeing there? companies are doing to really help to source better just in general? Yeah, it's in, it's such an interesting market to me, and it's one, admittedly, I was a little skeptical to, I think, when I was first introduced to recruitment marketing. Um, but I, I really believe in its value, and I believe in how it helps organizations basically manage everything that the ATS doesn't do. It handles everything pre-applicant. So it handles the um, employer branding, serves as a CRM, has sourcing capabilities, social sourcing capabilities, um, event management to be able to handle all of your events and university hiring, uh, campaigns, running all your campaigns, 
and all the analytics to show the value and to show what sources are providing the most value. So it's a very robust platform. It's something that mostly enterprise organizations are investing in right now, but I think really takes sourcing as a practice to the next level. To the next level, actually, yeah. Um, really getting some, some background behind it and getting some good process behind it using the the, the vendors of best practice resources and some other things, you know, what's working for other people. Because that's always, again, we're, we're here at the Silk Road conference this week, and that's one of the things that we're picking up, right? We're hearing from these different companies, here's what's working for us, here's here's how we we're able to, to navigate that challenge. And it's always fun for me to hear those stories. I love a good story as it is. But um, the attendees are, are really good about jumping in and, and sharing their own stories and things here more so than some of the other conferences that I've been to. So that's kind of fun to, to pick up on those those pieces of it and just to hear what's really working. Yeah, this has been a great conference from that perspective. I feel like everyone's really engaged and have they have a lot of opinions and a lot of experience. And, yeah, I mean, to your point, sharing what, what works and what doesn't. And sourcing's been a big topic here, too. I mean, typically, when I think when you think Silk Road, you think onboarding, but they also do have a lot of individuals here who are responsible for the talent acquisition function. Yeah, there's a lot of content around that here, and there are a lot of conversations around it. I know mm -hmm. yesterday we, we talked about um, one of the sessions I was in, we, talked, we were talking really about candidate experience and engagement pre-hire and all that other good stuff, just really really round it out because people are getting the idea, again, going beyond the, beyond the old conversation of just do I use a job board or do I do this other thing? It's not a binary decision anymore. It's You've got to do more than that if you're going to find the people you need. There's actually a, a career builder study that just came out recently that we were talking about a minute ago that says that the skills gap or the inability for companies to find and bring on the talent that they need is costing them $800,000 a year basically because they that comes from lost productivity, you know, lower morale, everybody else having to shoulder the burden, right. um, people burning out and leaving. So all those different things kind of factor into it's expensive to not have that that person in the seat, which is funny because I can remember years ago, bless his heart, um, I have to say bless his heart because I'm Alabama. <laughs> bless his heart, I had, a, I had a manager that was a little clueless. He said, you know, um, we've had this job open for, for a month and we haven't had anybody, you don't have anybody in this role, we haven't paid anyone because it's been open. He's like, well, that means we just saved you know, X dollars by not having someone in the job. And I said, yeah, but what about those customers that he couldn't serve? or she couldn't serve by being in this role. What about the lost revenue opportunities or the, the additional stress it's causing for their coworkers? So right. I had to kind of educate him on that. But that, it's clear to see, you know, in that story and in the data from, from this study that it's, there's a real hard, true cost to not having those jobs filled. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think exactly to your point, it's stress on customers, it's stress on colleagues who have to take on more work and maybe don't feel like they want to stay at this company anymore and then there's a retention issue and um, it's it's a big problem I think for a lot of organizations and probably why they're becoming more strategic about how these how they fill these positions absolutely well, it's, it's funny speaking of strategy one of the sessions that I'm doing um, later today um, is around diversity right we're going to talk about different pieces of it but one of the parts that we're going to talk about is diversity sourcing because if you want to change the fabric of your company as a, and become a more diverse organization, that's the easiest way to do it. You don't snap your fingers and suddenly people change overnight. That's the only way you're going to do it is through attrition and, and by hiring in people that are going to fill that, fill that need. So um, one of the pieces that I'm going to talk about within that perspective, though, is branding. 
So there's a there's a story a couple years ago. One of one of my friends who does a lot of consulting work in the branding space. He actually lives up in Boston near you. He was telling me that he was working with a large hardware technology company here in the U.S. that was trying to improve their diversity image for hiring purposes. They said we we want to be better at this. Please help. So they brought him in. He said, okay, we're going we're gonna to do an exercise. We're going to go through live, you know, your executive team sitting here. We're going to go through and look at your career page together. And so he clicks through the career pages, you know, four or five times, showing different, different scenes and things from the company. And he said, I don't know about me, but has anybody else seen anyone who's not a white, you know, male or female on these pages yet? Hmm. And everybody gets that kind of look on their face. With a little, they turn a little green. And they realize, you know, that the front they're putting out there as a brand is not tied to the kind of company they want to be. So they yeah. had to work through changing that kind of thing. And I know, again, branding is one of those things that you you spend a lot of time on and one of those things that you're interested in as well. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And I think when you think about how important diversity and inclusion efforts are in sourcing, and we, t- we just talked about recruitment marketing platforms, that's one one thing that I think those platforms handle very well is they provide content through career career pages, microsites, landing pages, um, all specific to who they're targeting. And a lot of the efforts organizations have for using recruitment marketing is around diversity. So they'll create career sites, exactly to your point, with content um, that that really looks at improving their diversity and inclusion efforts. Yeah, it resonates with that audience. It resonates to, with that audience. You know. And it will be different than their vet, veteran hiring. Mm-hmm. It'll be different than um, their college grad hiring. Yeah, absolutely. It's and, a different world. Yeah, it's a different world. But I think one, one thing that's really interesting, I'm curious what you think about this too, is there's so much talk around employee referrals. We're talking about sourcing, and that's always been the number one source of hire. Yes. And that's a best practice for organization, looking to increase your participation in employee referrals. But there's an aspect of employee referrals that can cannibalize your diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion efforts. Yeah. If you're having someone bring in basically the same type of individual, yes. yet you have these diversity um, an inclusion initiatives and an investment that you've made. So it's interesting to, th- to think about and how organizations can balance, you know, having strong employee referrals, but at the same time, maintaining a strong commitment to diversity. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a really cool story. Actually, I talk about it in the session today. Another plug for that. Uh, I will talk about Pinterest and their approach to this because they've done a really good job. They. A couple years ago, like most companies in Silicon Valley, they realized, wait a minute, we're not really representing the kind of company that we want to be diversity-wise. And so instead of sleeping under the rug or saying, you know, cross our fingers and hope it changes, they started posting publicly on their blog and talking about their journey to improve this. And since they've made it more public and really let the public hold them more accountable for it, they've started increasing their, their number of black and female engineers, underrepresented groups are, are going up and they they're very clear in their in their messaging and approach to say we are trying to get there we're not there yet but these are the results we're seeing so far here's how here's what's working one of the key things they did is they were very specific in their referrals they didn't just post a job email the link out to everyone and say please share this because that's, that's too general it's too vague it doesn't really get results so they went to their key diversity people in the business and said well here's one of the things that they went to those people and said who else do you know that would be good for this but they also went to other specific people in the company that were good performers and said who is the best diverse engineer that you've worked for or who's the best female engineer you've ever worked for 
or worked with. And so they got very specific about the questions they were asking so that instead of just saying, hey, Madeline, who's the best person you've worked with? You start combing through all these people and you're comparing everything else and it's hard to narrow that down. But I said, who is, who's your favorite Alabamian analyst that you've ever worked with? Well, it's really specific and you can, you know, point to me or somebody else from Alabama. I don't know if there's another one. <laughs> but, but you're my favorite. <laughs> really specific about that, right? That, and that's the challenge. That's what, what works. One of the other pieces that I talk about in the, in the research that the research kind of bears out is that job boards, well, everybody, everybody wants to, to think, if I can just find that right job board, I can post that job and I'll reach that audience mm -hmm. of diverse candidates or of, of uh, you know, qualified people, whatever it might be, and we'll find them. Mm -hmm. But, again, referrals are the number one source for finding people, and job boards are not are not going to get you those people, especially when it's diverse like that. When you're really trying to do something targeted, it takes hardcore sourcing. We're going to get out there, scrounge around, find the right people, right. and bring them in. It just can't be, it can't be passive as an activity and get you the results you're looking for. Yeah, it's so true. And I think um, the other piece to that is I think it also needs to be very personal and interactive. Mm -hmm. um, I know Ericsson is a, an example of a company, and in their employer branding and sourcing efforts, they really go after and get involved in conversations where they're, you know, looking to, to fill talent, especially around diversity for girls who can code. Mm. So they'll get involved in those conversations. They'll use the hashtag. They'll showcase the efforts that they've done to really provide more of a personal and interactive uh, sourcing strategy instead mm. of just, to your point, post and, you know, the post and pray model <laughs> or, you know, signing up for this job board and crossing your fingers and hoping it works. It's yeah. really taking the time, getting involved in the conversation, and building a relationship. Really cool. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I know what Erickson, I'll have to do some research on that. Because, I love, again, I love a good story. I love a good <laughs> company that's doing something different and unique. Um, let's transition just a little bit because, again, yesterday we, we had a, a chance to, to chat for a little while. And one of the things that it seems like everybody's talking about is AI and how artificial intelligence and machine learning and all those good, those, those things are affecting work. And one of the areas, not just in general that it's affecting work, but, but around recruiting and sourcing is one of the things that you and I, you know, in our world, that it's changing a little bit. And I'd love to hear some of your, your thoughts on how AI, machine learning, robots, all those good things are going to impact the practice of sourcing and how companies do it. Yeah, it's such an interesting topic and one that comes up, you know, I think at every conference we <laughs> attend, it's probably one of the biggest topics. To me, what's interesting about it is that there's so many misperceptions still around what AI is, what providers actually have capabilities that truly are AI and not just analytics, and to your point, how it can improve areas specifically sourcing. Uh, one thing that we found, we just did some research and a study on AI and found that over 40% of organizations are fearful that AI will replace the role of the recruiter, or the talent acquisition professional. And I think that's not just true for talent acquisition. It's probably a, a broader conversation for any job. People are fearful that AI may replace that. And, you know, I don't think there's a hard answer to say it absolutely will not. I think um, what AI, to me, and the value it has is to empower organizations, specifically on sourcing, to make better decisions, to give them insight into what's the best content that's attracting 
individuals to be able to maybe apply for a job, um, what are the best sources to be able to, to post your job? Kind of stacking up and thinking about different resumes to help recruiters make better decisions. Offloading some of that, Offload, some of that yeah. workload that they're having to do today. Um, well, speaking of the offloading, there was a recent there was a recent event happens every year, um, SourceCon, and one of the interesting things they do is this competition. So to give you a kind of a preview, they they allow people that are sourcing experts to participate in this event, and they give them three job descriptions that they have changed. They were real jobs, and they changed some of the data in them, so they can't find them easily. And then they give them a database of over 5,000 resumes. And they just hand it to them and say, we need you to find the person that was hired in these jobs when they were really posted. Also, you get bonus points if you can tell us who also was interviewed and considered in this process. So they have to back into that using, using their searching tools and everything else, all their skills and wizardry and, and, and fun stuff like that. And what's interesting is this year they, they pitted them against a... An, an algorithm, an AI, um, and what's interesting is the people that won the competition, the, the, the robot came in third, okay, so the people won, yay, but here's the twist, so it took between four and 26 hours on average for the top three or four people to, to complete the task, I think there was someone tied for seconds, so that's a weird number, but it took the robot less than five seconds to complete its calculations and pick the candidates it thought were going to be right. So it didn't win in terms of quality, but in terms of the time, it, it knocked it out. The other thing I think is interesting is that it's not an either-or kind yeah. of discussion. It doesn't just have to be one or the other because the people that were successful used some different tools that helped them be a little more predictive, a little more selective in narrowing down that huge pool of 5,000 resumes for those three jobs to be able to, to find that. And so, again, the cool story there is they were able to, to bring those things together. It didn't just mean that the robot wins, we're out of a job, or right. we're better than the robot, so it's not, it's not valuable. But blending those kind of things is what really led to the, to the best result. I love that story, and I think, it's, I think it's a cool competition, and I think bringing in AI, especially this year when it's so relevant, is, is great. So kudos to ERE and, and to Randy Bailey from Walmart, who won the competition. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. That's awesome. So before we finish up, I want to ask you a question that um, you may not have an answer for. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I know you're, you're not scared looking around. When we're talking about robots and all that other good stuff. What are some skills or some things that people have that are going to become more important if we have those tasks being offloaded, those those low-value or low-priority tasks that are being offloaded to a machine or to an algorithm to handle so that we can focus on other things? What are some of the things that employers need to look for in their people to try to, to, try to make that work? If you want, I can give a couple ideas, or you can jump right in. Yeah, I mean, I think what comes to mind first is that um, when you're talking about AI, what it doesn't have is that human element to be able to interpret emotional intelligence or to be able to think about certain skills and competencies that only another human could identify. So I think um, those critical thinking, critical assessment skills that certainly come along with a talent acquisition professional will certainly be more important as companies think about building out their talent acquisition function. And I think um, the personal element, I think AI does a lot to replace 
communication or enable communication, provides more consistent communication with candidates, provides more opportunity for communication, but really that personal communication, that one-on-one -on -one interaction, that feeling that you really have somebody that you can reach out to and feel comfortable with, um, you know, is not, is not gonna be replaced. That reminds me, years ago, I was bringing on, um, trying to bring on this guy. We had multiple jobs open. They were, they took me a lot longer to fulfill any, any of them and um, than I thought it was going to. And we had one that I, I had the guy like on the cusp, ready to accept. And he kept showing some signs, like he wasn't sure if he was going to, and he kept mentioning, you know, I don't know how my wife was going to be okay with me, me do, accepting this job because he was getting ready to retire, actually. And we were bringing him in instead. I was like, I'm not sure. And so I actually had him bring his wife to the office. And I met her and, and talked to her, walked her around, showed her the tour, let her meet our president, and just talked about the kind of work we, we did, the kind of company that we were. And before she left, she said, you better take this job or else. Oh, she that's a great him. story. And it, that's what comes to mind yep. when you're talking about that human element, that thing that's good luck to a robot having that conversation yeah. or picking up on that nuance and saying, there's another person that's going to ultimately make this decision right. about, about this and being able to see. Or it could be like a benefit, like, oh, they've got to have this benefit to, to yeah. come over. They've got to have paternal leave or whatever else that, that might matter. So just being aware of those things is what makes the, makes the difference really at the end of the day. Yeah, I love that story. So I have a question for you. Uh oh. Okay. So um, we're talking about AI. What's mm -hmm. your favorite robot of all time? Favorite robot of all time from movies. Um, I am blanking on like all kinds of robots right now. I'll tell you. I, I used to I used to love Futurama, and Bender was pretty awesome. Oh, cool. Okay, but uh, maybe I'll just go with that for now. I like it. Um, I did a webinar recently, and we asked people that, and the number one um, robot was R2-D2. You know, it's, there is nothing cuter than my two-year-old saying BB-8, <laughs> you know, that he recognizes them. Uh, again, we're in Orlando, just spent the last week at, yep. at Disney and Hollywood Studios, and um, I liked Star Wars growing up, but my kids seem like sucked into it. They're, there's a lot, it's funny, because all this, this is coming back again, and so... I would, I'd be okay with that. I'm not a C-3PO kind of guy. Yeah. You know, they can have him in the track <laughs> But uh, R2, VB8, the, the little roll around ones, you, you can't help but think You can't help them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, Madeline, anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? This has been so much fun. So much fun. And I think um, it would be interesting to have the same conversation next year at the same time to see what changes because the sourcing space to me just moves so quickly. It does. Absolutely. And one of the things I was going to ask, again, we're, we're not live, but um, if people are interested in hearing some interviews with people that are sourcing and mm -hmm. some, hearing some of those things that they're doing, one of the, one of the challenges that I hear and the things behind some of the career builder data and others is that HR people are being tasked with recruiting in addition to everything else. And when you have to handle a, uh, a sexual harassment complaint and you're trying to onboard two people and you're having to recruit for something, I don't mean to demean them by saying they have to post and just hope for the best, but that for a lot of them, that's, it's a time constraint and they're trying to figure out how to do Absolutely. this. Absolutely, yeah. So if you're interested in hearing from some people that are doing that really well, feel free to, to reach out to me on Twitter, at Ben Eubanks. Um, we, can, we can have someone on in the future if that's of interest just to, to help meet some of those needs and answer some questions around that. It might be... Yeah, a lot of fun. We'll have to weave Madeline into that conversation too and let her share some of her expertise because she is, as you can tell, extremely awesome. So thank you again. <laughs> Thanks, Madeline. Ben. It's been great to see you this week. Great to see you too.
Thank you, everybody, for joining us on We're Only Human, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening to We're Only Human with Ben Eubanks on the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. To learn more and to listen to the show archives for We're Only Human and all the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network shows, go to www.h3hr.com. And remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour Network podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast player app.